0: From your parents, whatever. And most of us, whether we were Anglican or not, we learned the version from the Book of Common Prayer that has trespasses in it, which I was always confused about as a kid because I would see, you know, things posted around that said, no hunting, no trespassing, and anyhow, the archaic language gets you once in a while, right? Speaking of Anglicans, uh, whatever else you might think of the Anglican Church, they put together this really interesting uh, one-minute promotional video for the Lord's Prayer that I want to show, and then we'll we'll mention it. Uh, we'll speak about it a little bit briefly. So let's see here. There we go. Awesome. So here's the thing, they, bought, they put this ad together with the intention of buying time in movie theaters to show as an ad before the feature presentation. And The idea was they were going to show this promotion for the Lord's Prayer uh, in, in the promotional material before Star Wars, The Force Awakens. This is what the Church of England wanted to do, but the ad was banned by the cinema companies, and it was banned because it might offend people. And this is not in North Korea or Saudi Arabia, this is in Great Britain. Now, of course, I think the cinema companies got one thing right. I don't think they were right to, to ban this ad, but I think they understood one thing. They understood that the Lord's Prayer is not just some little innocuous, innocent, harmless thing that we repeat mindlessly at weddings and at funerals. What is contained in the Lord's Prayer are words of power and, and quite frankly, radical ideas about God and about humanity. I don't think they were right to ban it, and neither did a lot of secular politicians. But I do think it is interesting to note that These secular media companies that run the, the movie theaters did seem to recognize that there's something there in the Lord's Prayer that maybe we as Christians take a bit for granted. So as we normally do, I'd invite you to stand for our scripture reading. I'm going to read the material just prior to the Lord's Prayer. I know we covered that last Sunday, but it gives some important context And then we'll say the Lord's Prayer together, and we will just say the the traditional form with the archaic language, because it's probably what we all know best, and uh, we'll say the the end part as well, for thine is the kingdom, when we get there. So beginning, uh, Matthew 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may have a seat. Jesus urges us as his followers, and we noted this last week, to avoid certain kinds of prayer. Don't pray like those religious hypocrites standing on the street corners and in the synagogues making big, showy prayers because they're just praying so that other people will think well of them. They're praying so that people will look at them and, and that's really what they're into, into doing. They're trying to impress people. And then Jesus says, don't pray like the pagans either. Because the pagans are praying in a way that they just want to manipulate God or, or the gods, depending on their religious persuasion. They want to manipulate God into giving them what they want. Like God's just kind of a vending machine. If you pull that lever enough times, he's going to bend to your will and do whatever it is you want him to do. Rather, Jesus teaches his disciples then and us now a different motivation and basis and ground for prayer. And since it's Father's Day, I know sometimes in this community with high school grad on Father's Day typically, it can get a little bit lost, but I do want to spend the majority of our time together looking at the opening phrase, Our Father. We'll spend some time looking at that, and then normally we would have had prayer time before the sermon, but we'll, we'll spend some time in prayer afterward. This is the model prayer, and I think it only right that we actually put it to use. Our Father. It's a central theme. We just take a moment and, and appreciate and realize how, how central this is, even in, in things like film and literature. I mean, even, even Disney has figured this out, right? They've been, this has been figured out for years. Pinocchio, or, or a father figure, right? Conflict with a father is pretty central. Peter Pan, the Lion King, a.k.a. Hamlet with animals. <laughs> Finding Nemo, it just, it just goes on and on, up, And Disney owns this now too, so we can throw that on top of the pile. And it just, you look around and it's so central to to movies, right? To good old To Kill a Mockingbird, classics like East of Eden, uh, Back to the Future, that can go in all kinds of directions. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Life is Beautiful. Road to Perdition. Like, this, this is just everywhere you look, conflict with father and, and the, the resolution of the relationship, often between a boy and his dad, is just central to a lot of, of movies and a lot of literature. Now, you can, like I said, even with Back to the Future, it sort of invites some kind of weird Freudian things going on there. And that, you know, whatever. We, we, can, we can go there, and a lot of psychologists will go there and go all like that to, to try to explain why this is such a dominant theme and why we keep coming back to it and coming back to it. I would propose, rather, though, a more fruitful approach would be to see that this is such a st- central theme in the stories we tell because it mirrors the bigger and even greater conflict and, and ultimate resolution with our Heavenly Father. And that's what's so shocking, or at least it should be, about how Jesus starts off the Lord's Prayer. Because he applies this central theme not just to human relationships between children and their father, but between us as humans and God our Father. And this is something I think far too many of us have just taken for granted. We've been praying this prayer a lot. We've been calling God our Father a lot. It's something we've grown up with. I don't think, though, we've always fully understood what this is. We're so used to God, calling God Father that we can miss out on how radical and how transformational this really is. It's all about how we relate to God and, and what basis, on what basis, we expect our prayers to be even heard, let alone answered. This, this is big, this is huge. In his landmark study of youth and religion, published in the book Soul Searching, sociologist Christian Smith argued that most American teenagers, and by extension I think actually just most North Americans in general, subscribe to a belief system that he called moralistic therapeutic deism. Now that's a very technical term and we'll unpack that a little bit. But I think it's become clear that this isn't just teens that think about God and think about faith and think about religion in this way. It's kind of, it's in the water, it's in the air, it infects people without even knowing it. This belief system is widespread, and I think it's been widespread for a long time. And it's very concerning because I believe it it can exist even inside orthodox, reformed, evangelical church traditions, and we don't even know it. It's a disease of the soul you can be affected and infected with even, and not know you have it. And essentially it boils down to this, and this is Smith in his own words, basically. First, moralistic therapeutic deism is about inculcating a moralistic approach to life. It teaches that central to living a good and happy life is being a good moral person. But This is a pretty watered down form of morality. It means being nice, kind, pleasant, respectful, responsible, at work on self improvement, taking care of one's health, and doing one's best to be successful. In other words, our job as humans before God is simply do your best. Second, it's about providing therapeutic benefit to its adherents. It's about feeling good, happy, secure, at peace. It's about attaining subjective well-being, being able to resolve problems, and getting along amiably with other people. In other words, God's end of this bargain is to kind of help us out whenever we need it, especially if we're feeling bad or something's kind of hard. And finally, it's about belief in a particular kind of God. One who exists, created the world, and defines our general moral order, but not one who is particularly personally involved in one's affairs until you have some trouble or a bad feeling that you need some help with and you want resolved. In other words, he's there, but we really only need to worry about him when we have something that we can't deal with and cope with ourselves in our own strength. And like I said, this is the water we drink and the air we breathe in our culture. And it's not just liberal Christians, and it's not just health and wealth people or nominal Christians that think this way. We can call ourselves evangelicals, but we can be infected too. Even just consider this. How much time do we frequently spend praying for those kind of more therapeutic things? Whether that's subjective or even just spending a lot of time praying for health needs and financial concerns, and then compare that with how much time we spend praying for Christ-likeness, right? The transformation by the Spirit into the image of Christ. It can be a little bit of a sobering thought. But this watered-down view of a relationship with God doesn't cut it. It didn't cut it either for the Jewish religious leaders— who are really into the moralistic end. It didn't cut it for the pagan people in Jesus' time, who are really into the more therapeutic and deistic end of this. It seems to be just a natural way that we try to bargain and approach God, but it doesn't work, and it won't cut it now either. So what does Jesus mean when he teaches us to address God as Father? Behind that one word, Father, is a wealth and treasure of truth about who we are and about who God is and about how we can relate to him. Right? When we address God as Father, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we can rattle that off. It takes only a few seconds. But those words, our Father, that's like the tip of the iceberg, just a little bit sticking up above the water. And Down below the surface, there is a wealth of truth about our God that we can scarcely comprehend. So first of all, Jesus is the only one who can call God Father by right. This is getting a little bit beyond the Sermon on the Mount. But from the New Testament as a whole, we can understand why God is called Father and why Jesus teaches us this language. It's not because in some vague and general sense, God is the Father of us all humans because he made us all. It's not just some kind of generic term of respect or of benevolence on his part. God is called Father, and we understand him as such because first and foremost, he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God is sometimes understood as the nation of Israel's father, or sometimes as the king's father. Well, actually, it's the reverse of that. Sometimes the nation of Israel is called God's son, and sometimes their king is referred to as God's son. But he's not usually addressed as such. People didn't presume just to address God as their father, especially as individuals. God might condescend to call Israel or the king his son, but never would an ordinary person have been so presumptuous as to call God their father. So what does this mean? Well, this brings us to our relationship with God. Jesus can call God his father by right. We can call God our Father by adoption. And the Romans passage we read earlier that Mark read for us, it's one of my favorite passages, probably my favorite passage in all of Scripture, Romans 8. I know sometimes I choose it maybe a little more frequently than, than other passages to be read alongside, but there's so much richness there, and we saw it today. There, as well as in Ephesians 1 and Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul explains that we can call upon God as our Father because God has adopted us as his children. How does that work? Because of Jesus' redeeming work in dying for our sins on the cross and rising from the dead on the third day, it's for our justification that we can trade our sins for his righteousness. Jesus gives us, who have placed our faith in him, equal standing with himself before God. And it makes us, as Paul puts it, joint heirs with Christ. Are we beginning to see that when we address God as Father, we aren't just being polite we're plugging into a source of truth and power that's so big, it's beyond our imagining. It's a little bit like we're, we're playing with dynamite here. These words that we're handling, these are powerful words. Maybe not dynamite, maybe weapons-grade plutonium, right? We're just mixing it up and we don't even know what we're going to do and we might blow ourselves up, there's so much power there. So what does this mean? Well, everything. It means our whole understanding of God gets put into place we don't need to earn our approach to God through good deeds. Righteousness is important and good deeds are essential, but they aren't the basis of our relationship with God. They're not the basis on which we can approach him. We don't have to approach God with the idea, "Well, how much how much have I done this week? Have I done enough good deeds that that he'll listen to me, that I can kind of bargain with him?" No. They're essential. But they're not the basis. Look at it this way. Um, For those of you that are guests with us this week, um, we're in a time of pastoral transition. Uh, Our lead pastor, Blaine Banting, is just down here with us today. He's in the process of transitioning out of his role as lead pastor, and I'm transitioning into this role. It's been on my mind and, and my heart a lot lately. Now, as someone who is called to be a pastor... There are plenty of things that I'd better be able to do and others that certainly don't hurt, right? Administration, staff oversight, some sort of counseling or mediation skills, visiting the sick, comforting the bereaved, looking good in a collar on special occasions. Like all these things, possessing a master's degree. These are great things for a pastor to be able to have and to be able to do. You probably wouldn't want a pastor who didn't have proficiency in at least most of these. But they're not the basis of what it means to be called to be a pastor. The basis has to be a connection with the Lord. Spending time with Him and in His Word and hearing from Him through His Word and then having something to be able to tell to you and draw you into that connection. That's the basis. All those other things are good and necessary, but they're not the basis of what it means to be called to be a pastor. And friends, this is not just the case for ministry professionals. This is the case for all of us. Those external things are, are good and right to have, but they're not the basis. The basis is a connection with God, our Father. God is not our employer. We don't relate to him on that kind of a basis where here's all the skills you need to have to get the job and now we're going to go through your performance review on a regular basis and maybe you're in and maybe you're out. It's based on an unshakable reality that God is our Father, that he has declared it as such, that he has demonstrated it as such by sending the Lord Jesus to die and raising him from the dead. That's the declaration and he's not going to go back on that. Here's another illustration, and I do apologize if I'm speaking about myself too much, but this idea of adoption, it's very close to, to my heart uh, because many of you will know, and again, just filling you in for those of you that are guests, Dochelle, my wife, and I are in the process of adopting a child. So this language that God uses of us being his adopted children, this is something that I'm learning to understand in new and and very meaningful and significant ways, and it increasingly takes on new and deeper significance. So there are many needy children in our own country and, and around the world. We've chosen to adopt from Haiti for some reasons that are practical and some reasons that are more, you might say, philosophical. It's likely that we'll adopt a child who is an orphan, or at least a functional orphan, having been abandoned. This reminds me that apart from God's grace in Jesus Christ, we're all spiritual orphans. As you know, probably, if you've had friends that have done this, or some of you maybe have walked through this yourself or had family members that did, adopting from a foreign country doesn't come cheap. We've been very fortunate financially But there are sometimes sacrifices that you need to make along the way. But thinking about this and working through this, it reminds me that that's nothing. That's nothing in comparison with the sacrifice that our Lord made to make us his adopted children. And this is the one that's been really significant for me this week as I've prepared this message. Adopting from Haiti means we'll get a child that's legally ours but who, in all likelihood, will not look much like us, to white people. And I am certain that at some point or other, kids being kids, they notice these things. Another child, I'm sure, will point this out and say something to the effect of, they're not your real parents. They don't look like you. They're different than you. And yet, what a picture is that of the gospel? Right? Our standing with God does not depend on how much we look like Him because we'll never get there. It doesn't depend on how much we measure up. That's the calling to become as much like our Savior as possible. But our adoption doesn't depend on that. It stands on the declaration that our Father has made in Christ to be our Heavenly Father. The love of God and what he has done for us in Christ and his declaration that those of us that have put our faith in him are his children, it stands. It is stronger than any accusation that the enemy can make against us or the, the doubts that our fickle hearts can put before us as to whether we're really his children. We're not his children because of how we feel or how we measure up. We're his children because he has declared it to be so. The love of God and his promises that we will be like Jesus, thats stronger too, than any of the very real differences and shortcomings we may see in this life. You see it, the difference that this makes? Do you see the, the solid foundation that this puts under our feet? That's, that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? The building your life on the rock or building your life on the sand. We'll get there in due course. But do you see the solid foundation that puts that this puts under our feet. We don't have a foundation that we're unsure of if it's going to bear the weight. We have a foundation because Jesus has died and risen and God has declared that we are his adopted sons and daughters. That gives us confidence. That should give us boldness. You know, saying the Lord's Prayer, even just when we begin with our Father, right? We can treat that like a little thing that we rattle off, kind of the equivalent of a couple of AA batteries. Maybe if you're really adventurous, like licking the 9-volt one, who's done that? Yeah, some of you have, just for kicks, I know. But it, it, that gives you a little zap, a little buzz. But what we've plugged into here in the Lord's Prayer, even in the first phrase, Our Father, that's not like a little battery you hold. That's 220 volts, and you just stuck a knife in that outlet. That's going to that's gonna throw you. Right? That is powerful. Anybody ever got shocked by 220? Yeah. yeah it, it, it's, it's not pleasant, but it's powerful. That's, that's maybe the shock that, that some of us need for what the Lord's Prayer actually is. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't primarily give us the Lord's Prayer so that we could think about it so that we could kind of sit around and, and, you know, consider and, oh, that's a nice thing. Okay, on with the rest of our day. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer so that we could use it. Yes, there's tremendous theological wealth in there, and we do well to think and reflect on it, but primarily he gave it to us to use. For the last two or three weeks, if you subscribe to junk mail, or if they just stuff it in your mailbox, Uh, You might have noticed everybody's been running Father's Day sales and ads, haven't they? And Canadian Tire seems excellent at this. Like, they've been gearing up for this for weeks. They've been coming. Father's Day this, Father's Day blowout, get Dad some stuff. And it's a lot of tools. That's Canadian Tire's specialty, right? Cordless drills, air compressors, table saws, all that kind of stuff. Canadian Tire is putting that on sale in hopes to somebody's dad needs that. Here's the thing, though. Tools are meant to be used. Wouldn't be much of a Father's Day gift if you got that shiny new table saw or cordless drill set or whatever it was, and you just, what would you do? Take the owner's manual out, kick back in the easy chair, read the owner's manual, ah, read the warranty, read it in another language because who Nobody would do that, right? That's not what you do with a a new cordless drill or a table saw. You get that out, you take it into the yard, and you build a doghouse or you build a fence or you build a deck. That's what these things are for. They're not just there to sit in the box and look nice. Generally speaking, we think that people that have tools or sporting equipment that's all shiny and new, it's not right. They're supposed to be a little scuffed up because you're supposed to be using these kind of things. The Lord's prayer is the same. Whether we say it together as we did earlier or we use it as a model or a guide for our prayers in our families or as individuals, Jesus gave it to us to use and is full of power as we do that, as we use it to approach our Heavenly Father. So we're going to conclude our sermon a bit earlier than we normally would have. At least I think it's a bit earlier, judging by, I hope this is right. Yeah, it looks right, okay. We didn't have a corporate prayer earlier as we normally would in our service. But we're going to spend some time in prayer. We could spend a whole sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And I realized quite quickly that a sermon on the whole prayer, we might be here all afternoon if we're going to try to start plumbing the depths of each phrase and each little segment Of the Lord's Prayer. But as I thought about it, as I've just said, the Lord gave this to us so that we can use it, so that we can put it to work to teach us how to pray. So that's what we're going to do. The Lord's Prayer, I believe, makes the most sense when we use it together. All the language that Jesus taught us is plural language, right? Our Father, give us this day, forgive us our trespasses. And so I would encourage you, as we move to a time of prayer, gather around with those that are near to you, that that you've come here, that you're sitting with. Gather in groups of two or three or whole families. Some of you might be here with extended family. Gather together, and I'll I'll guide us. But go ahead. You You can shuffle around. You can move as you need to. We're going to spend some time talking to our Lord. I recognize that there's a measure of a little bit of awkwardness in this. But here's the thing. Sometimes that awkwardness, it's just something we need to push through. You you just need to get a little bit past it. And there is richness and God's blessing on the other side of that. I know sometimes preachers get up at the front and they're awfully fond of saying, get out of your comfort zone, but get out of your comfort zone a little bit. So what we'll do, I'm going to introduce each line and then we'll leave some space, some time for you to pray with those that are around you. We'll have a little little uh, background music so it's not just silent and that also helps too if, if you're uh, praying about some things that are fairly personal, uh, just to kind of provide a little bit of cover there uh, so you don't feel like the whole auditorium is listening. We'll leave a little space, and then I'll conclude. I'll do my best to kind of give an appropriate amount of time, but I probably will end up cutting some of your prayers off a little bit. But I'll try to be sensitive to to allowing enough time for that. I would encourage you to to just pray each time. You don't we don't need to spend a lot of time each each petition in the Lord's Prayer. Kind of discussing our prayer requests ahead of time. Just pray. Uh, that will help to kind of move things along here a little bit. I mean, obviously, if there's something that you feel you really need to explain, go ahead. But I would encourage you, as the little video said, just pray, just go for it. And we'll go through each of these, spend a few minutes on them, and then uh, then I'll conclude. So, let's begin. Hallowed be thy name. Let us take some time to praise God for who he is, for his character, and for his goodness toward us in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through, uh, in the midst of our lives, whether things are going amazingly well for us or whether we're in a, in a difficult time where there's, there's struggle and uncertainty, we pause and we praise your name, the name that is above every name. We praise you for your goodness toward us, Lord, as we've been Thinking about even briefly this morning, your goodness toward us in Christ, in Him dying for our sins, in rising for our justification, in trading our sins for His righteousness, and being co heirs with Him, and your adopted sons and daughters, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. There are so many ways that we see our world is not as God would have it. There are wars and violence, and there's hatred and pride and brokenness and pain. But let us pray that God's reign would come in our lives, in our church, our community, our nation, and our world, and that we would be instruments of that kingdom, of that reign. Let us pray. Lord, this, this world is, is not as you would have it be. Uh, this world is, is marked and, and damaged, polluted by sin. But we pray that those of us that name your name might be, might be your people in the midst of it. We can think of any number of ways. And this week, Lord, we were reminded uh, with the Supreme Court case and Trinity Western University um, that our our culture is not one that is just always friendly and supportive of the things that we believe. Um, We hear of wars and rumors of wars and all of these things, Lord. But we pray that we would be your people in the midst of that. And may we continue to look forward to that day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. In his name, amen. Give us this day our daily bread. Let us pray for those things we need, right? Health needs, financial needs, wisdom and direction in life. Let us pray. Lord, the the room is not near full, but we know that there are many needs represented here um, for health concerns, for financial concerns. Lord, these are realities, and rather than worrying about these, uh, we turn them over to you, and we pray that you will be our sustainer and our provider in the midst of all these things. Um, We pray, Lord, of course for changes in the circumstances that are hard. But most of all, Lord, we pray for strength from your Holy Spirit at work in our lives that we can look to you and trust you and continue walking with you no matter what the circumstances we face. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is one of the more difficult ones. But let us, as you are able and willing, confess your sins to one another and let us pray for God's forgiveness and the grace to forgive as we need to. Let us pray. Lord, we know that we are your people, and yet we know that uh, there are any number of ways in which we we fall short. Lord, we thank you as we've been reminded today that that is not the basis of our relationship. And may we know your forgiveness. May you give us the grace to forgive others. And Lord, we pray against those things uh, that have been tripping us up and where we have fallen. We pray against anger, against sexual sins, against gossip, against pride and arrogance, against lying, all these things, Lord. May we know your forgiveness in any of these areas where we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Lead us not into temptation. And uh, it is... In addition to being Father's Day, a a special Sunday, a special weekend in this community, it's our high school graduating class, and I've been trying to look and squint through these really bright lights, but I do think I see a few of our high school grads with us today, and I'm going to do that thing you probably hate, but would you be willing to stand, and we would like to pray for you. Let's see, we've got a few. Is that Marcy back there? Yeah. Liam, is that you? Yeah. Victoria? Victoria? All right. Let's, those of you that are nearby, these young men and women, gather around them. There are so many temptations that face young people, whether they're leaving home, going to work, going to school elsewhere. There are so many temptations in, in this world today. Temptations um Of course, we can think of the stereotypical ones of living lifestyle common at universities. We get that. But there's also all kinds of pressures and temptations about what kind of worldview and and what you consider of the most importance in life that gets challenged. And so let us take this last moment of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And pray that specifically for these young men. and women. You don't have to remain standing if you don't want to. We've seen who you are, but gather around them. Those of you, even those of you that aren't right there, if you want to get up and go over and gather around and pray for them, I'll leave some time to do that and then I'll I'll conclude. Lord, we pray your blessing and your strength upon our high school graduates that are present right now, those that aren't, um, all that are graduating, Lord. We ask your blessing upon them, your strength, your wisdom, that they may know that they are your children, that they may walk worthy of the calling that you have on their lives, that you protect them from temptations, that you be with them, whether they leave here, whether they leave home, whether they go to university, whether they join the workforce, whatever they are doing, Lord. Each, each scenario has temptations. Each scenario has great things to be learned. We pray that you would protect them from the former and that you would help them to embrace the latter. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's conclude. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I know this has been a little different than what we normally do on a Sunday, but one of the things that I'm deeply convinced of as I begin to transition into this new role as your lead pastor over these next few weeks and months is that church is not meant to be a spectator sport. Our North American church culture frequently contends toward an entertainment format which can allow us to be very passive, And I'm convinced that that mindset is something that we need to push back against and say, no, I'm not here just to be entertained. I'm not here just for what I can get. I'm not here just to fill a spot and then go away and continue on with my life. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm going to turn Sundays into some weird and unpredictable affair where you never know what's going to go on week to week. God remains a God of order and furthermore, there's no, there's no point reinventing the wheel each week. But I do hope that we can see more of what we do together, more like players attending a practice rather than fans attending a performance. Hopefully this week, we've been reminded that our approach to God and our relationship to Him is as adopted sons and daughters of our Lord and King. Our place in His family is secure because praise the Lord, it's not based on our performance, but on who he has declared us to be. Don't forget that as you leave this place. We're going to conclude with a, with a kind of favorite old hymn, but it has this refrain, uh, to take it to the Lord in prayer. So let's join in and sing what a friend we have in Jesus and don't forget that part. Take it to the Lord in prayer. As we've done, may we continue to do. Amen.